1: My goal was to join the military, to go downrange and shoot terrorists. I would say point blank. And I got to fulfill that.
0: You're listening to War College, a weekly podcast that
2: brings you the stories from behind the front lines. Here are your hosts, Matthew Galt and Jason Fields. Hello and welcome to War College. I'm Matthew Galt.
0: And I'm Jason Fields.
2: Kevin Lace is a former Navy SEAL who served in the Battle of Ramadi alongside Chris Kyle. An American sniper, the film based on Kyle's life, Lace consulted on set and got to play himself in the movie. He's also an author in his own right, the author of the book uh, The Last Punisher. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Thank you, guys. Great to be here. Matt, Jason, appreciate
2: it. Uh, So we're going to start talking off with some, some veterans issues with you. Uh, So during World War II, more than 14 million men served in the military out of a population of less than 200 million. Uh, You mentioned in a speech uh, that you gave recently that the number is now serving is about 2 million out of 350 million. And you said there was a growing disconnect. Can you tell us what you see?
1: Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I'd mentioned that, and you know, I'm very aware of the World War II statistic. It was a, um, you know, everybody was all in on that war. You know, from rationing to men and women serving. Um, you know, it was a war that involved the entire society. Um, and since then, you know, after we've obviously won, less of an emphasis has been put on military service because there hasn't been a conflict such as World War II where we've been as actively actively engaged, or so it seems. Nowadays, I believe that threat is even bigger than it was in World War II, but we are relying on a very small percentage of the population to fight those wars, even more specifically, you know, special operations to carry a large share of that burden. So as a result, you know, you have a very small, you know, Navy SEALs make up 0.0026 of the U.S. population, but they are been involved with some of the biggest, you know, operations that we've had in the last 15 years, some of the biggest battles, and therein lies the problem. You have a very select piece of the population that shares a very large burden of that war. And most individuals don't understand what we go and do downrange. They probably shouldn't know, but they don't understand the threat that we fight that actually affects every single citizen, not just 0.0026 of the population. So
0: when people come back from that, that means that you really are kind of the odd man out. That was one of the things that really struck me uh, about that speech that you gave. After World War II, if you were looking for a job, and you hadn't served, the question would be, what's wrong with you? Why didn't you serve, right? And now it's almost like if you go in for a job interview, the person you're across the desk from is looking at you like you're a curiosity, right? I mean, almost like, so why did you serve?
1: Yeah, you know? no, good point. Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't see it as the odd man out. For example, you know, I've been asked to consult on a lot of different things. I've, I've had a lot of major news networks reach out um, in lieu of recent events for commentary um, because it, it brings a perspective that a lot people fear terrorism, people fear violence, people fear the unknown. Um, so they reference people that have been there and done that. So I don't feel we're the odd man out. I just feel that we're a very select part of the population who knows what's going on. So. Where I stand to provide information, you know, and and be an asset rather than the odd man out is to be actively engaged in, you know, school. When I went back to the University of Connecticut, you know, I was a very small percentage of the population being a veteran. I was the only SEAL on campus. I'm going to Wake Forest as a PA. I'm a former special operations medic, and there aren't too many in the healthcare field, predominantly in PA studies. So it doesn't matter what community I go to, you know, I bring a perspective. And so does every single other operator who's been there, done that to a general population who remains largely uneducated as to what the real threats are in society. There are people commenting on you know, the most recent event in Las Vegas, or it's the most recent terrorist attack. And they want to know from somebody who's been there, done that, what is to be expected? How do we prevent these threats? And how do we cope? And how do we deal with that? You've been there. You tell me about it. So I feel like the right man in um, having had those experiences.
0: Well, so when you're talking about Las Vegas, uh, honestly, wasn't something that I was going to bring up. But let me ask you for your perspective. What do you really think there is a way to prevent things like this?
1: Uh, you know, that's a very, it's uh, a philosophical question right there. Um, <laughs> it to is prevent violence. Um, you know, there's man, you, there's so many directions you can go with that. I think there's one thing you can't underestimate, and that's just pure human evil. Um, and it, it rears its ugly head, whether it's, the face of Islamic terrorism, whether it's, you know, a, a teenage shooter that goes into Newtown, Connecticut and mows down a bunch of kindergartners and first graders, or it's somebody who snaps and shoots 58 people in Las Vegas, peaceably people who are enjoying concert. I don't know if you prevent that, but I think you allow it to happen when society, and this is me getting on soapbox. I hate doing that, but I think as we lose our morals, we lose our val- uh, values and our compass, um, we really become lost in the woods. And I, I really feel that in a society that's self-gratifying and every, everybody is looking for their own voice, it's usually the loudest voice that wins. And unfortunately, the voice of violence tends to be the one that garnishes the most attention. So I don't think we can prevent that. I think we can curb it, but it comes down to how do we look at ourselves? And unfortunately, we're just going in the wrong direction.
2: Do you see the way that society treats returning veterans reflected in that uh, moral change that you see?
1: Um, I think there's been a lot of good things that have come about, you know, veterans returning. Um, I think veterans, you know, there, there's a lot of emphasis on on engaging veterans and re-engaging veterans. Um, And I think people understand the value of bringing veterans on board, but I still think there is, you know, there's always going to be people like you went downrange and you shot people. Yeah. It was my job. Just kind of the same way the trash man picks up the trash every single Wednesday at my house. But the the issue lies in, I think there's an inner peace with that because it's an individual who meets violence head on. As somebody who has a very, you know, cultured perspective of good and evil, regardless of where you fall on the spectrum, but you know when you see a bad person and you know the type of person you are who are willing willing to stand up against that that man or woman. Um, And I think uh, when it comes to that moral compass, I think veterans have a clear, very clear perspective of yeah, I've been there. I've done that, and I've walked in those shoes, and I've seen evil, and I've returned. and I'm here to educate. And I'm here to make you stronger, because what we know together uh, makes us stronger.
0: So I have a question. Then, does it make a difference when you're talking about going into the field and actually, uh, you know, uh, how else do you put it? I mean, to actually go into combat, does it make a difference that you you were incredibly well trained, right? I mean, you weren't just someone uh, who went through basic and then were deployed. I mean, you had a lot of training to become a SEAL. Uh, You know, there are many, many movies made about just how hard it is. So let me ask you, do you think there's a difference between someone who had your level of training being deployed with someone who is, you know, just goes through basic training is a standard infantry person? Do you think that changes the relationship with violence?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um, no, obviously there, there's a very stark difference. You look at a SEAL, you know, the most basic SEAL that goes through training, you can just look at that man and say that's a million dollars right there, because you know there's no less than a million dollars spent on training, on selection, on preparing that individual for combat, compared to a you know 11 Bravo um, in the Army who just walks in and, and a weapon infantry rifleman. I don't really know the Army as well as so I do the Navy, but yeah, there is a difference. But I tell you, the difference changes when you meet combat, because you see extraordinary stories of heroism, such as Dakota Meyer, regular Marine rifleman who went in there and saved X amount of his buddies when he was told not to, you know, there's tales of the human spirit, the fighting American human spirit, um, where regardless of training, race, creed, even gender, you know, people that have stepped up to the fight um, and were willing to do heroic things. So yeah, there is a difference when you look at it on paper as to, yes, this man has the training, he has all this stuff, and this man you know, just went through basic training, but at the end of the day, when you put somebody in the midst of the strenuous life, and that is combat, where there is the element of life and death, it doesn't matter how you're trained, you know, there's an intrinsic element to you across branches, across the different um, special operations communities, and even regular conventional army, um, and I think it's pretty amazing to see, and only combat brings it out.
2: All right, so we've got this kind of, in the in the culture, when we look at the returning soldiers, uh, one of the tropes that we, we see a lot of is the vet kind of returning damaged, the PTSD. Uh, In the forward to your book, Scott McEwen wrote, Kevin gives a new voice to a substantial group of veterans being largely ignored, those who have served, who survived, and who now thrive. And I I want you to talk about why you think that group might be ignored and what we can do about it.
1: You know, I don't know if that group is ignored. You know, there are a lot of veterans who return um, and are very successful in what they do. And and You know, they they don't go out there and say, I need to be heard in the same way that, you know, other social issues demand a voice. Um, And they're very successful. But I also hear quite a bit of the grumblings that, yeah, man, I I wouldn't kill people and I'm fine. Um, I enjoyed what I did. And that's that. That was my service. I enjoyed it. And I think there is an element of fear when you address a person like that. I think people are, are it unnerves them in a very you know, for the largely, you know, a peaceful culture that we have in society, we have in America, you know, the thought of going there and shooting people in the face that are terrorists scares most people. Um, and I get that from people who say, they assume that as a seal, you're just a person that runs fast and swims fast and is really good at doing the obstacle course. And that couldn't be further from the truth. It's a, you know, it's a person that you're trained to go and kill terrorists. Um, so I think it's largely ignored because it's feared. Um, but at the same time it is, easily employable in business, in healthcare, because it's an individual who has seen the worst of the worst and has risen above that um, and is able to succeed when most people thrive, and that is under duress or under stress. So um, it is largely ignored, but I think when it is tapped into, it becomes a, uh, the pulse of whatever field you fall into, healthcare, business, all the above. So
2: when you come home, how did you switch off the Warrior? What was the transition like, and how do you do it
1: properly? Great question. I don't think you have ever switched off the warrior man. I'm in, I'm in business. I'm in healthcare. I'm an entrepreneur, and you know I'm just as hungry as I was as the first time I picked up a gun. In um, buds, there is no switch off, and I think you always have it. And that's where we try to tap into, you know, that two percent in the last Punisher was. You know, there's a two percent of the population who can go ahead and do that job regardless and transition, you know, to the next step. And I think it. There is a transition process, don't get me wrong. A lot of people ask, like, hey, what's the hardest part of SEAL training? What's the hardest part of BUDS? And I tell them it's leaving. It's leaving that community, leaving that group of individuals where it's very like-minded. You get to the point where you understand what somebody's thinking or about to do before they do it. Um, And it's a camaraderie that it cannot be replaced. So transitioning away from that is difficult. But, you know, you tend to gravitate to areas that have that same kind of camaraderie. And, and that's where I'm at in business. That's where I'm at in healthcare. care. Um, and you become an asset, kind of a force multiplier in whatever direction you go because of the sp- experiences you had in that patient, in that population as a, as a team guy, or as a soft operator.
2: Do you think that's maybe why some of your fellow uh, soldiers maybe don't have such an easy time coming back as they don't have a community to come back to?
1: Great question. I don't know if if they don't have a community to come back to. I think it's it's still hard regardless of where you go to, to turn it off. I mean, there, I just had a, you know, I was just talking to a buddy of mine and we were talking about how our extreme sport experiences have kind of dwindled down as our responsibilities have increased. And, you know, I think it's a, it's a matter of um, understanding that, yes, you're probably not going to charge the door and, you know, there are probably not going to be bad guys on the other side anymore, but there's still a culture around you that you have to engage. Um, And for me, it's my family, it's my community. Um, that's what I do. I think for veterans who um, struggle to find that, I think they need to um, not be afraid to reach out. You know, I get a lot of vets that we engage with our charity, Hunting for Healing. We try to plug them back into those groups. Um, and there's always a helping hand. Just like if you fall down and trip in combat, somebody's going to pick you up. And I think vets, you know, if they want to succeed, it's simply as reaching out and, and re-engaging um, that community again.
0: When someone comes down comes back home experiencing PTSD. What do you think the difference is between their experience and your experience? These the same thing can be hap- happen to two different people and they will have very different responses. That's always the case, whatever the heck happens. What do you see the difference between these two things? I mean, I'm sure you know plenty of people who have experienced PTSD.
1: Yeah, you know that's a that's a very interesting question, and you know being in healthcare, that's something that um, I talk quite a bit with you know other providers, and we do see veterans in our clinic. A lot of them are from the special operations community. Wars drag out. You know, you're having individuals who you know go ahead and um, have done 10, 11, 12 deployments. You know, and that takes a toll on a human being. But I think it's important to to talk about what is PTSD. It's just like autism. It's a spectrum. Um, it's not the violence and lash out. It's not the, you know, roid rages, those sort of things. It could be simply as feeling down or difficulty sleeping and not wake up with It's just insomnia. People that have been, you know, hypervigilant, you know, and that's sh- in that, you know, sympathetic overdrive for so long that it's hard to switch it off. So what, you know, what's the pre-existing factor for PTSD? I don't know. Is it stress in utero and fetal development? Is it, you know, a family history of you know, um, mood disorders and, and, and mental health issues in the family? Is it really under duress? There's an issue with the actual brain and the amygdala and blood flow. I, I don't know. There's so many things going into it. And I think that's what makes it a mystery in some ways. But are we ever going to figure it out? Hopefully we do. But what we can do is we can, we know one thing works and that's communication. And, you know, it doesn't matter what kind of type of genetics you have, you know, each individual, each human communicates. So if you can elicit and you can draw those experiences and get down to what is interfering and, and hurting that individual, I think we can go ahead and maybe not solve those issues, but we can, you know, make, make the best out of a situation that, um, that has been, you know, really, um, you know, keeping us guessing for a while.
2: So I had a friend who was in Iraq for a number of years, uh, first as a Marine, then as a contractor. And when he came back, People would thank him for his service when they met him, and he always he, he would tell me afterwards that it always made him uncomfortable, and that he just wanted to be part of the group normally again. And I'm wondering if you think civilians do a good enough job welcoming veterans back without alienating them at the same time?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm always happy when people say thanks for your service because it, it's it get, it takes them out of their comfort zone, man. I you know some a lot of them a lot of them really do appreciate the service that we've done and that means a lot to me and and really probably the most impactful moment that that happened was the time I returned from my 2008 deployment I was with um, lieutenant Guy Budensack who was my uh, assistant officer in charge of my platoon and we we came back and we were tagging along with the army unit and we landed in Baltimore at um, in, in in Maryland and I remember you know we're like we it's an army you know company that's coming back and we were tagging in the back and um, you know I remember going getting off the airplane and walking in. And I saw World War II veterans. I saw Korean War veterans. I saw Vietnam veterans. There's a couple Gulf War guys there and families. And they were going absolutely crazy. you know. And I remember walking by and there's these Vietnam vets and they were, they were so overcome with emotion. They were crying. Um, and I remember telling Guy, I was like, this is amazing. you know, This is extremely powerful. And I really hope that we're never at the point where Our service has been left, you know, meaning we did our duty and then our country goes a different direction. So to answer your point, I do believe a lot of Americans are appreciative of of the service of a very small population. Um, And I do think there's another part of the population who says it simply out of respect, just simply to say thanks for your service so they can get it out of the way. It's kind of like the crazies in the 1970s did so many terrible things to veterans that we're going to make amends and just say thanks for your service. Get it out of the way. Um, and that's a small percentage. I've seen it. I've seen it on college campuses. That was the number one place in in my career where I saw it. Um, and it wasn't in grad schools and undergrads. and just people just simply to get it out of the way. Um, and I was that made me a little mad. But back to the service, the hardest part for returning vets now. Um, and, I, and I gather from my friends and, and people I engage with is we are back in that Vietnam era where the sacrifices that were made were turned off by a political move, you know, in the late 2010 era. Um, So the gains we made in Iraq were lost. So that puts us back into that that cohort of of Vietnam vets. And, and, And service is important because we know what it's like to gain ground and then lose it and walk away. So to those who reach out on a limb, get out of their comfort zone and say, thank you for your service. I know they mean it. And I'm willing to tell them about that service because I don't want us to go back to what we did when we did not appreciate our veterans in the 70s.
2: All right, I'm going to stop you right there. We need to pause for a break from our sponsors. Listeners, you are on with Kevin Lace. This is War College, and we thank you for listening. We'll be right back after this.
1: Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side?
2: All right, listeners, thank you so much. You are back on with War College. We are talking to one of Chris Kyle's friends who served alongside him in the Battle of Ramadi. Jason, I believe you had the next question.
0: You know, not everybody does feel comfortable talking about their experiences. I have certainly know of examples where people who served are worried that by telling what they actually saw, you're going to scare people off. And there's, uh, I think... Uh, from the veterans i've met there's a certain gallows humor too right i mean the things that people joke about after you've been through some nasty stuff it's not necessarily you know what uh, genteel people laugh about at home right so uh but you feel comfortable talking about all this stuff
1: yeah absolutely i mean why not i enjoy i joined my i joined the navy um after 9-11 you know i had a very uh, close personal friend who lost his life in in, in the trade centers. Um, and to be frank, my goal was to join the military, to go downrange and shoot terrorists. I would say at point blank. Um, and I got to fulfill that. And in the same capacity that my grandfather joined the Navy after, after Pearl Harbor, um, that so many other veterans joined after Pearl Harbor, you know, as so many veterans joined after 9-11, like I was a population who felt, This hurt me directly, and I'm going to go ahead and do the job. And I should never have to apologize for that. And it's a necessary job to do. You know, homeland security is important, and you know, the best uh, the best way to go ahead and address that a threat is preemptive. And in that process, you have to do things that involve life and death. And you know, for most people who live in a first world country, that their problems are are very minuscule compared to those in combat. Um, Yes, some of the things that we've done will shock them, but I don't think that. Well, I know from my, pers- my perspective, I'm not going to be deterred from talking about it. You know, I think it's educational for people's perspective. But there is a you have to modulate how you describe that message. If you come out as a Neanderthal with a very monolithic you know, approach to these stories, you're going to turn off a lot of people and you're going to give the veteran community a bad name. In the same breath, when there is terror and there is threat on the homeland, those are the same people who go ahead and rely on a sheepdog. We've seen it in Las Vegas, when people were getting shot, people were turning to cops who were running towards gunfire. You know, when there's terrorist threat, whether it's on a train in France, you have Americans willing to run up and meet evil. So it's important for you to tell your stories. It's also important for you to be respectful in a manner of how you tell those stories, because you can do a lot of, you know, um, unwinding of um, the esteem that veterans are held by telling that story in a poor light.
0: Would you mind telling us one story from your experience that really stands out? You know, you're talking about what happened in Ramadi. I mean, is there one uh, aspect of that that um, you know you feel uh, be worth telling our listeners?
1: Man, you know, I, I think it's uh, man. There's so many. There's so many stories that you know people. And this is what I got. You know, working on working on the movie. You know, working with act. Everyone thinks that deployments like a movie, um, like it's action, action, action. You know, they've they seen the, the war movies and they expect it to be, but it's it's not. You know, there's so much downtime. There's so much um, hilarity that goes on that, you know, kind of shocks. an individual. you're like, I thought you'd be in combat. Um, I find it funny, too, because I thought it was going to be like that. You know, I, I've watched Band of Brothers well before I joined the Navy. And I was I thought it was going to be like that. And our experiences were nothing compared to you know, what those individuals felt, you know, storming the beaches of Omaha and Normandy. But some of my best experiences um, are with the people I worked with, you know, whether it was on target, um, you know, some of the funny stuff you see on target or it was messing around the team area. You know, the new guys show up from right out of SEAL qualification training. And the first thing they do is meet up and, you know, they get taped up and their eyebrows bicked off and their head shaved, Um, you know, and and the fun incurs, you know, when it comes to, funny stories when it comes to worthy stories it's the ones that really uh hit close to home that stand with you the most and and um the first time I really saw you know and I illustrated in the book I was at chow and um enjoying enjoying a breakfast or whatever we were eating and um some guy came in screaming for litter bearers and um you know we all drop, drop our plates and run and Johnny and I are both medics and we're 18 Delta medics. And I remember just like running because it was a mass casualty and they needed, you know, people to carry stretchers, which meant there was a lot of casualties. And I remember, you know, that standing out is the first time that I was really brought into that emotional connect with a casualty. And we got, we got lined up in our beds and I you know, didn't get a casualty, but I remember gravitating over and working on an individual. And it was a kid who is, you know, I say kid, I was 24 at the time and he was um, probably about my younger brother's age. And I remember just like, look at him as a Marine, you know, fret high and tight, you know, I'd been hit by a triple stack IED, And I remember that sitting with me and, you know, not being, I was obviously sad for that individual, but I was enraged that, you know, an individual would go ahead and do that to a fellow service member. And it, it, what it did was it recatalyzed me as an operator, as this job is important. My job is to go ahead and, you know, lay waste to individuals that would do this to a fellow Marine, a fellow sailor, a fellow soldier, um, and it made me work harder in what I did. And every time I saw, you know, what would be an element where an incident would, where, you know, you would most people would get beaten down, it, it fueled me to work harder. And I think a lot of the people I worked with, and a lot of you know, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines that saw that did that, um, and that's inspiring. You know, that is um, that is people taking the initiative. Seeing the atrocities, but are standing up, you know, work harder, be stronger, and be faster than the enemy because it, our job depended on it.
2: Uh, all right, I have I have some follow up questions to that if you don't mind. Sure. So early in that, earlier in your answer there, you said that you know a lot of people see when they imagine this, they kind of see it as a movie. And I have to ask because I am a big fan of the film and I think it's misunderstood. Was it surreal then to go and make a movie about some of your experiences?
1: It was not at all surreal. Um, you know, pe- I get a lot of people that say, to me, well, did it stir, it jar any memories? Um, no, it didn't for a lot of different reasons. One, I was always under that umbrella that Chris wasn't there. Um, you know, Chris wasn't there to be a part of his movie um, that he had worked hard in his career to create um, a good reputation um, and do his job diligently and, and protect people around him. So, you know, being under that cloud was was not. You know, I I, I was I wish Chris had been there, as did, you know, everybody on set. No doubt about that. Um, But it did make me work harder to make sure that they got it right within my own means. Um, And a lot of people are like, well, that's not real. And that didn't happen. And you didn't go through pods with Chris. I was like, I know Uh, I was there, man. That's a movie. You know, the movie is telling a story. And when people ask me about American Sniper, I tell them it was Chris Kyle's story through the eyes of Clint Eastwood portrayed by Bradley Cooper's interpretation through Jason Hall's story. And that's it. So was it surreal to be on set and film a movie? Yeah, I guess it was surreal to work on a movie, especially with the caliber of people. You know, I'm a big fan of Clint. Yes, working with him was something amazing. Um, working with Bradley Cooper is cool. You know, he's the guy from The Hangover. We used to watch the deployment a lot. I get it. That was awesome. But it was a movie. It didn't bring back the memories that um, I think a lot of people would, would expect um, because we are telling a story about – Chris and Biggles and Mark Lee and those gentlemen aren't around to be there, um, and there's actors taking their, their place. All
2: right, what what's one thing that you wish American civilians understood about war and the military?
1: I wish they had the nuts to go do it. No, I'm just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, come on, go throw a good. <laughs> you know, I I think everyone gets sucked into you know, um, I've had you know kids say to me like, I, I can't be a seal, I'm going to die, man that's not the case. You know, the military is one of the greatest institutions that we have in this country. Um, and I say that because I went in as a, I wouldn't say troubled, I'd say more misguided, um, youth. And I jumped into a program where all I saw was being a seal. I didn't appreciate the brotherhood that I formed in the teams. I didn't appreciate the Educational aspect on my own character and my own capabilities that i received in training out in Coronado, California. I didn't really see the um, how complex the training would be and, and what I would learn and, and the, the skill sets that I would acquire. In my times, the human beings that I came to see as mentors that helped me grow up in my in my young age, um, and all of those skill sets. That I acquired and the bonds that I formed, I didn't see how hard it would be to leave those behind um, when I moved on. But I've utilized all those and I've re-engaged in that community and the people I worked with, and I've turned that into very, very real opportunities. You know, I'm a professional speaker. My wife and I and Ethan Rocky wrote a fantastic book. It's a New York Times bestseller, published in four other languages. Um, you know, I go, I get to speak quite often to large you know, amounts of people and discuss what I've done. Um, I'm active in four businesses right now and I get to give back through our charity hunting for healing. So, you know, the, the, the connotation of you're going to die really doesn't tell the story of what you're willing to gain. If you're willing to engage um, and be an active participant in the military. And I'm very fortunate. Um, and I want to inspire the next generation of frogmen. I wanted to inspire the next generation of warriors who will go ahead and protect us, you know, like, people that I got to serve with did. So the military was a positive experience for me. And the only way you're gonna know more about it is to go ahead and engage those people. Thank them for their service. Thank you for your service. Can tell me, tell me, tell me about it, tell me a story. And if they're willing to tell, listen, I've had some opportunities to listen to my grandfather, former, you know, UDT scouts and Raiders, you know, Navy combat, demolition guys back in the early days of the Frogman era. Um, And those people inspire you. And I, I think it's important for Americans to listen to veterans engage them in their businesses, and um, it's okay to join the military. It can actually open some doors for you.
0: Kevin, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you.
1: I appreciate it.
2: All right, listeners, this has been War College. War College is Jason Fields and Matthew Galt. And, of course, the listeners. We wouldn't have a show without you. And we really appreciate when you guys jump on iTunes and leave us a question or a comment. Uh, You can also find us on facebook.com forward slash warcollegepodcast, where a lot of you have been reaching out and a lot of you have been talking to us, and we really appreciate that. But really, rate us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. We'll be back next week with more stories from behind the front lines.